2: Welcome to the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken Cruzado, and this week, actually, uh, the majority of this week, uh, Pastor Ron will not be here uh, in the studio. So instead, I will be taking your calls and your questions, filling in for him like I usually do when he steps out of town. So you can keep Pastor Ron and Paula in prayer. They are... Enjoying just a few days uh, out of town. They will be back, I I believe, Friday for the radio show. So that means this date-day edition, Thursday, I get to spend with my lovely wife, May. You can join us then. In the meantime, it is the usual Monday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. Uh, Let me give you the phone number, since this is a call-in radio show. The phone number to the... uh, Studio is 210-340-9585. That's 210-340-9585. The toll-free number is 877-630-5757. You can call in with your questions. You can email them if you like. That's That email address is questions at calvarysa.com. If you want to call in and you happen to be driving, you can use the KSLR app. There is the Call Now button at the top, and then your hands-free at that point on, or you can also submit questions through the Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. Okay, got that all out of the way. Today is the Monday edition, and what we normally do is spend just a few seconds talking about what's going on at the church. Well, tonight there are no studies. Usually our uh, Monday nights are filled with Bible studies from the women, Bible studies for men, and then for the youth and junior high, but not tonight. We are actually taking a two-week break uh, on Monday nights. So our Monday night studies will resume on August 31st. That gives uh, the school and the staff and the people here at the church time to acclimate into a sort of normal schedule, uh, because school will be starting here very soon. You can keep that in prayer also for the radio listening audience. I know Pastor Ron has been uh, talking about it for a little bit, but uh, we're excited. I had a chance this morning to uh, meet with the staff. They they return uh, this week just to meet and go through some of the logistics um, to get acclimated back into being here, and also to prepare the classrooms. But this year, things are going to be different. And so I had a chance to, uh, in Pastor Ron's stead, pray for them and talk with them. And I'm excited. I I think this year is going to be a year that lots and lots of fruit is produced, and that's what we're praying for. And, And by the way, since Pastor Ron has also mentioned this, but our, our school year will be in person, and that's a prayer request that has been answered, and so praise report. Um, we will be having school in session with all of the, the different measures in place, which is why the staff is meeting. Okay, it's Monday, so I hope you had a great day at church yesterday. If you were able to go or if you attended church online, um, I hope that you heard from Jesus yesterday. Uh, we had a great word yesterday in Second Timothy. Uh, it was very encouraging at the same time, exhorting. Um, we talked about the, the farmer, the athlete, and the soldier again. We talked about the two weeks ago and yesterday, we just kind of fleshed out the applications of, of what it means to live for Jesus. And so that was very encouraging. Uh, let's jump right into the questions. I'm going to give the phone number one more time, and then we've got a few questions already submitted. 210-340-9585, 210-340-9585, and then 877-630-5757. First question is anonymous. We've got a few anonymous questions today. This one says, My niece's friend gave her life to Jesus yesterday. That's great. She's in her uh, mid-30s and single. A few weeks ago, she started in vitro because she wants to have a baby. And in parentheses, it says without a, a, a man. She asked what she should do if she's pregnant. She also asked if it is sin, to keep trying uh, in vitro. Well, okay, so Anonymous, uh, first of all, what a wonderful thing to celebrate if if this person gave her life to Jesus yesterday, and if this was submitted yesterday, this is probably a couple of days ago, uh, that is a wonderful thing that changes everything, and I say that Because the rest of the context behind this question, uh, it's completely different now. You said here, uh, she's in her mid-30s and single, and she started in vitro. The first question is this. She asked what she should do if she's pregnant. Okay, about that. If she's pregnant now, then she keeps the baby and simply raises it in the Lord. There is no condemnation for the things in the past um, but if she's pregnant now, then that's a blessing. And then she takes the baby, keeps the baby, and raises the baby to know Jesus, to love Jesus, this Jesus that just forgave her of her sin and gave her a brand new start. So that's that's uh, uh, a straightforward answer. The second part is a little bit more detailed. She, you said she also asked, is it sin to keep on trying IV? Now, whether she should continue in trying IV is really an issue of motive. It's an issue of motive. Romans 14, remember at the very end of the chapter, Paul the Apostle writing uh, to the church there in Rome, and the context there is about meat, specifically eating meat that's sacrificed to idols. But he says there at the very last verse of chapter 14 that anything not done in faith is sin. And what that means is is the action itself may or may not be sin, but what's more important than the action itself is the heart behind the action. And that's the motive. Motive is everything. Remember when Samuel was led by God to go and select a new king? And when Samuel went there in chapter 16 to visit uh, David's family, remember the first person he went to was Eliab. And God said to Samuel, don't look at his, and this is Eliab that God's talking about, don't look at his appearance. For the Lord doesn't see as man sees. Man sees the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Motive lives in our hearts. And God knew that no matter what Eliab's or all the other brothers' appearance was like, and Eliab was the eldest. And so a normal human reasoning, we would think this man was probably the biggest, this is maybe the strongest, and he looked like the eldest, uh, he looked like the one that would be the king. But God says, no. I don't look at the outward appearance, I look at the heart, because that's where the motive is. And he knew that, David would be a man after God's own heart. So that's the answer. Whether or not um, she should continue trying, really, it has to be, uh, it's the issue of motive, and it's got to be done in faith, whatever you do. Now, I would also add this, Anonymous. Uh, Since she just gave her life to Jesus the day before, that means her motive or her reasoning behind wanting a baby is now completely different. In other words, I, I, we don't know, Jesus does, what her initial motive was. You mentioned she was without a man and didn't want to have a baby with a man in her life. I'm assuming that's what that means. And, and maybe from past traumatic experiences, maybe just being tired of meeting the wrong guy, All these things that that we go through in normal life are discouraging in me. Before she met Jesus, she might have thought, well, you know what, this is just not working out. Uh, I want the baby because maybe she's thinking the baby will be somebody who will give me unconditional love and, and I'll have something or someone that I could love without all of the complications of a relationship. And that's sadly how a lot of people in the world think. But now that she knows Jesus, she has met the lover of her soul, the one who knows everything about her. And I would add, the one that she truly has been looking for all her life. You see, the baby isn't the answer to satisfy that empty, uh, empty hole in her heart. Especially if you're looking for someone who's going to give you unconditional love. (laughs) At first it seems that way, but uh, babies, because they're human and they're cute flesh, but they learn quickly that uh, their primary uh, existent is not to give unconditional love. It's to receive it. But the motive is the key. The motive is the key. And... And now that she knows Jesus, she needs to get to know who he is. And as she gets to know the voice of the Lord, she can discern the things of the Spirit. She will be able to let the Holy Spirit guide her in her decision-making. And that's the beautiful thing about having a relationship with Jesus. So, Anonymous, I hope that helps. Let's go to the phone lines. We have Mike calling from San Antonio. You're on the air.
3: I, uh, I had a question about Ephesians 5. Um, my my wife and I uh, had some uh, contention, and it's got me uh, thinking about Ephesians 5 a lot, where uh, Paul says, husbands love your wives just as Christ
2: question, Mike. I, I love the fact that you read uh, verse 25 uh, through 27, and I love the question. Number one, uh, I love it because, Mike, y- you and your wife are going through the Scriptures together, and and yeah, there may be some clarification that's needed, but that's okay. The point is that both of you are seeking the Lord in the Word of God, and, and the Holy Spirit will give you uh, the, the The answers that you need and, and this passage, Mike which you point out actually starting in verse twenty two is what w- what the Bible gives as the the infrastructure of the, of the guidelines of what a godly marriage looks like. okay, so you know that already now let 's get right to the question: How do you wash your wife in the water of the word and present her without spot, stain, or blemish? Uh, Mike, so there's a couple of things here. The first thing is this. Uh, the first part of verse 25 says that we are, I'm, as husbands, we are to love our wives as Jesus loved the church. And what did he do? He gave himself up for her. So, number one, as a husband if we're going to be the godly husbands that call, God has called us to be, that means we sacrifice ourselves, not not necessarily physically, but what we do is we put our, our desires, our wants, our selfish needs aside, and our focus is now on how we can edify our wives, how we can bless our wives, how we can wash them in the water of the Word to present them holy and blameless to Jesus, because there's going to come a time at the end of our life we will stand before the lord and have to give an account of how we did as husbands and so jesus is our example and the specific phrase here in verse 25 it says that he gave himself up for her jesus gave himself up for the for for the church he sacrificed everything and and that was for our benefit for the church's benefit, Mike. That's the same attitude we take as husbands. Now, what that doesn't mean is that we don't let our wives do whatever they want. We don't let our wives. We don't let our wives uh, make the decisions. We don't let our wives uh, do whatever they feel like doing. We don't let them their emotions uh, lead them in a way that's not in the direction that Jesus wants them to go. So our job as husbands is to die to ourselves. And that doesn't mean, you know, we turn off Monday Night Football and and we watch, you know, Hallmark Channel. But what it means, Mike, is that uh, my priority is making sure that my wife is seeing Jesus. Not seeing Ken, but seeing Jesus. And I need to put Ken aside and my wants, my desires, my hopes, my dreams, my goals, my aspirations, and everything aside, and, and put in the front of my wife, Jesus. And now, how do you do that? The second part of your question is uh, through the washing with water through the Word. What that simply means, Mike, is this. Practically, you sit down with your wife, and you open up your Bible. And you read to her. And you read to her the word of God. You don't need to, don't make it a Bible study. Don't, don't make it uh, uh, something where you've got commentaries and, and, and concordances out where you're getting technical about the phrases. No, it, it simply means what it says. You open up the Bible and you wash your wife in the word. What it'll do Mike, is show your wife that you are submitting to the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit is saying, read the Bible to your wife. And as she watches your submission to the Holy Spirit, God will prompt her heart to submit to your spiritual leadership. And he, the Holy Spirit, is the one that molds and shapes her heart and washes her through your obedience of opening up your Bible and reading it to her. And Mike, I cannot emphasize this enough. It's something that I, 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 a lot of couple, Christian couples, simply don't do because we're too busy. But when she sees you doing what the Bible says you should do, which is open up your Bible and start reading to her, then God uses your voice to speak His word to her heart. It will strengthen your marriage. It will give her an example to follow and submit to your leadership as you're submitting to the Holy Spirit. And it will also give her uh, uh, insight into the Word of God that will foster conversation between the both of you. And that's the best. That's the best thing. So read the Bible to her, Mike, and, and let the Holy Spirit work in her heart as he's working on yours. Does that help? Okay, Mike isn't there anymore. Mike, I hope that helps. If, um, if you have any questions, call back, but I think it's pretty straightforward. I love the fact that you are willing to, to do whatever the Holy Spirit is telling you to do. And in this passage, Mike, I believe with all my heart, you just do what it says and God's going to bless your marriage. Thanks for the call. All right, 210-340-9585, that's the phone number, 877-630-5757, that's the toll-free number if you happen to be out of the area. Okay, let's move on to the questions. The second one comes from Alan. Did Moses know during most of those first 40 years of his life while living among the Egyptians that he was an Israelite. Alan, yes, Moses knew. And even if, and I say this tongue-in-cheek, even if the, the movie, The Ten Commandments, sort of implies that Moses had no idea, he knew. And a couple of things here. Uh, he knew because the Bible says he knew. Uh, Acts chapter 7, where Stephen's discourse talks about Moses, he clearly says that Moses, after 40 years, wanted to know more about his people. Exodus chapter 2 and verse 11, it says that one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were. And then at the end of that that verse, it again repeats the phrase that Moses wanted to know where his own people were, be where his own people were. And so the idea here is that Moses growing up in Pharaoh's home having the best education having all of the accoutrements that would come along living in the Pharaoh's palace he also knew that he was an Israelite additionally remember this Alan uh, Jochebed that's Moses' mom when Jochebed had put him in uh, the basket to go down the river, remember when Pharaoh's daughter found Moses, took him in, we learned that Pharaoh's daughter had tasked Jochebed. She chose Jochebed, Moses' mom, to raise him. She was even getting paid to raise her own son. So she... Uh, Jochebed would surely have taught Moses about his own heritage. I, I marvel at the goodness of God when we, and this is sort of on a side note, Alan, but Jochebed's story is amazing. She sacrificed everything. Her son, uh, Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, says that, that Moses was no ordinary son. He was a special baby. And for her to let him go in a, in a makeshift raft or, 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 and, and send him down the river because the babies were being slaughtered showed that she trusted God. And when God saw her heart, he rewarded her by letting her take care of her own son. And raising him in her home to to know the God of Israel, so no doubt Moses knew who he was, forty years in that home, having the finest things in life on a, another second side note, I find that very interesting that Moses having everything at his disposal, living in the palace was still interested and went outside because he was looking for something else. Now, we know 40-year uh, chunks uh, is what Moses' life has really broken into, three of them. And the first 40 years he spent there in the palace, there was, there was an emptiness, a hunger and a thirst for him to, to go out and know his own people. So he knew that he was an Israelite. I hope that helps, Alan. On, a, on another note, uh, we mentioned this, I think, on Monday night. On a Monday night study, we're going through the book of Acts. Uh, Moses' Moses's section that Stephen talks about, it, I love the fact that we learn that Moses, not only was he no ordinary child, But he was someone that had to deal with rejection, just like Jesus. He was a type of Jesus. And Moses told the people in in the desert that, that there would be another prophet who would come from their own, talking about Jesus. They would reject him too. So the idea of rejection is something that Moses had to deal with, and well, his example or how he handled it, it wasn't very good. He went into the desert and ran off to Midian where he stayed another 40 years. But I love that we can look to Jesus and his rejection. He ran to the people that rejected him. Actually, what what, what Mike was talking about in Ephesians 5. Gave, gave himself up for the very people that rejected him while Moses ran away from the people that rejected him. I find that fascinating and interesting well you can hear the music here it is the monday edition of the word to stand on for life my name is pastor ken cruzado that's the first 30 minutes of the show we've got two minutes and then another 30 minutes to close out the monday edition we'll see you then
1: Got a question for Pastor Ron and the word to stand on for life? You can send it to him via email at pastorronkslr at gmail.com. That's pastorronkslr at gmail.com.
0: Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
2: Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. This is the Monday edition. Uh, If you're just tuning in, my name is Pastor Ken Cruzado. I'll be filling in for Pastor Ron this week. Actually, up until Thursday, he will return here on the show Friday afternoon. If you want to keep him in prayer, Paula and Pastor Ron are spending a few days out of town um, just to be with Jesus. And uh, really, he, he jokes around, we're going back to three services this coming Sunday. And he says he's not in three service shape, so he he's taking a few days away. Uh, he misses you. He sends his love. Keep him in prayer. He'll be back on Friday. So that means. This Thursday, I get to spend the date day edition with my lovely wife, May. Tune in then, and you can ask her questions, ladies, if you want to do so. Uh, Let's go right back to the questions. I'll give the phone numbers, and then we'll pick up where we left off. The phone number to the radio station is 210-340-9585. If you're out of the local vicinity, the toll-free number is 877 630 5757 you can submit your questions via email that email address is questions at calvarysa.com if you want to call into the show you can use the kslr mobile app hit the call now button at the top and then you're hands free from that point on Uh, you can also submit questions using the calvary chapel of san antonio app there's a tab there to for the radio and then you can submit questions directly from the app okay uh, well, the next question is from Anne. If God is omnipresent, well, does that mean he can go into hell? If so, I always thought he couldn't be where evil is. And so, Anne, uh, this is often a misunderstood concept, so let me explain. Um, when the Bible talks about God not being able to be in the presence of evil, it doesn't mean The way we think it means where, let's say, if there was a place like hell or a room, say, that was contained with only evil in this room, that because God uh, can't be where evil is, he can't enter into that room. That's not true. God is omnipresent. That is a uh, biblical doctrine of his character and nature, but his omnipresence um, doesn't mean that he can't go to where evil is. It means evil can't live where he is. So if God is light, which he is, and he walks into darkness, God's light doesn't turn off. He's not overcome by darkness. Instead, the darkness is, is exposed. That's what John tells us in his Gospel. And the light shines where it is dark. So, specific to your question, though, can he go to into hell? Well, Psalm one thirty nine. Remember, the psalmist says this: Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. There. So, so we know that the omnipresence of God doesn't limit Him uh, in in the sense that there are certain places where He cannot go. He's everywhere. This is a biblical doctrine. But the psalmist also says. This in, in Psalm 16, he says, In your presence is the fullness of joy. Well, in hell, there is no joy. Instead, God's presence and is manifested by his wrath. By his wrath. There is no joy in heaven. I'm sorry, there is no joy in hell. In his presence is the fullness of joy. That means with him, when you're with him. In heaven will be utter joy. And when you're with Jesus today, you experience the fullness of his joy. But hell is literally a place where his joy is not there. Where the the joyful presence of God is not there, but his presence, since he's omnipresent, is manifested by his wrath. I hope that makes sense not the most uh, encouraging uh, topic, but it does do this for the believer. And this should be the case for each and every one of us. It should ignite within our hearts a, a, a passion, a fervency to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to share the hope of salvation, the forgiveness of sin to all who believe in the complete work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That gospel message points to the finished work on the cross and to all who believe in that they become born again and they escape the wrath of God I hope that makes sense okay let's go back to our phone lines we have Tanya Tanya in San Leandro you're on the air
1: hey Pastor Ken how you doing
2: Hey Tanya, I'm doing well. It's good to hear from you.
1: Yeah, we're having a heat wave over here.
2: <laughs> I heard. My wife just told me. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's been pretty hot here, you know. But I'm I'm taking up a uh, Papa Ron's challenges to give you some tough questions. So um, I hope these questions. He always are, says Ron. that. I have, <laughs> two, <laughs> I have two questions, uh, totally unrelated to one another. So the, the first one is: How do you gently speak uh, to a, a professing believer? And, um, I was having a conversation and she was talking about how, you know, um, she was having problems at work and she said, you know, I curse this place. And when I curse people, you know, things happen. And I said, well, that's, that's not like Jesus. You know, he, you know, we, we huh. do work for Jesus, not for man. And, and I could understand her frustration it has to do with the injury and, and mistreatment. And I, I get all that. But, How do you lovingly, you know? I I told that that sounds. I go that almost sounds demonic when you say that you can curse somebody with your mouth. So I think you need to be very careful. kind of what I said. But then I felt kind of bad that I was being a little bit more harsh, and I thought, well, I should have just gone to the scriptures, right, and just said, you know, let no unwholesome speech come from your mouth. But I really wanted. I've I've had this conversation before about that. You know, that we can curse people. You know, and I'm like, no, we, we can't do that. Not not those who belong to Jesus. And if you've got some scriptures for that, I would appreciate that. And then my second question has to do with what advice do you give a person um, who lives in another country, predominantly Muslim country, and they have given their life to Christ, um, where it is a danger to their life um, and even just their their home life, where they, you know they would find themselves homeless if their parents were to find out that they are now, ser- walking and and mm. and serving Jesus. And I really would welcome some uh, advice on, on what to uh, how to how to minister. Um, you know, safety of course. You know, I would hate sure. for anybody to lose their life. Um, even though we've seen that in the Bible, I, I know that that happens, but. Just what, what encouragement do you give folks on the, on the other side of the world that don't have the luxuries that we do to be able to profess Christ without the fear of losing their life or their whole livelihood?
2: Tanya, great questions. Great questions. So uh, uh, let me deal with the first one first. Uh, what I would say, what, what you did in and, and responding to your friend and how they are acting. Again, if a, pro- a professing believer is acting like an unbeliever in the workplace, uh, we need to gently but directly correct them. And what you did was absolutely uh, spot on. Um, you don't need to feel bad about correcting Obviously, we do it with the heart. Again, motive is everything. And your motive has to be uh, for them to... To, to rightly represent the Lord, but also to know the love of God. And, and when, a, when a believer is going through a difficult time, their flesh, just like our flesh, wants to respond in a worldly way. And when we see that in people that we care about, in people that we love, in the lives of people that are near and dear to us, the, the most loving thing we can do, Tanya, is tell them the truth. And the truth is they're misrepresenting the Lord. And it's not good for them to stay in a place where they are cursing people or, 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 or uh, acting out in the flesh. And so we point them to the Word of God. You know, remember when Paul the Apostle was writing to the Philippians, he said that, uh, let your gentleness be known to everyone. And he's talking about the urgency of our time. Well, when, when believers get so focused on their circumstances... And I understand health issues. I understand financial issues. These things can be stressful. But when we focus on our circumstances, we take our eyes off of Jesus and we put our eyes on the things that surround us. All of us are going to get frustrated and all of us are going to act in the flesh when that happens. But when Paul uh, exhorts us in the Scriptures to, to to let our gentleness be known to everyone, it it it's a reminder to us who have the Holy Spirit living in us. Number one, that people are watching. But number two, they have to see a difference in us than in everybody else. So what I would tell your friend who is acting this way at work, I would tell them in a very direct way that they have to respond appropriately to difficult things. That's what Christians do. And if you can't, that means you're acting in the flesh. You need to repent and be with Jesus so that he can fill you with his spirit and you can respond appropriately. This is what the Bible teaches us over and over again. And so, Tanya, I know you, I know your heart, I know you care for your friend, what you told them, was correct. And you need to correct that, correct that behavior whenever we see it. It's uncomfortable. It could be, but I want you to think of it this way. You love your friend so much that you're willing to risk the relationship in order to tell them the truth. And that, Tanya, is the most loving thing we can do. It translates into the way we relate to our, our, our family or, or people that know us, especially that know us before we were saved, and they don't want to hear anything about Jesus from us because they'll say things like, well, we knew, how you, we, we, we knew you before, we know how you are. And it's hard. I understand that. And it's awkward. But if I truly love somebody, I'm not going to let that awkward moment dissuade me from telling them the truth in the hope that they would get saved I would also say Second Timothy chapter 2 uh, verses 20, 24 through 26 that's a good passage for you to share with your friend Tanya because it says there that for pro- pro- professing believers they, these are servants of God they, they must not be quarrelsome they have to be teachable and the idea there is that they need to be malleable, teachable by the Holy Spirit. They need to be correctable. And and then it says this, and they must gently correct those that oppose them. So you, being a servant of God, loving your friend, speak gently and correct uh, in correcting her, um, so that she will know the truth. And then it goes on to say. That, that the hope is that people, that the veil will be lifted from people's eyes and they would see Jesus and get saved. So I think what you said, Tanya, was perfect, and I would just go and encourage them to look at what the scriptures say, particularly Philippians 4 and and maybe 2 Timothy chapter 2. The second question. This one's a, a little bit more challenging, but there's an answer here. So for your friend that that lives in a Muslim country, or, and I would add, any type of environment that is uh, in a different culture where being a Christian is not only frowned upon, but can actually endanger your life, what can you do? Well, the Bible tells us and gives us example after example. I would look at the uh, Apostle Peter's life and the Apostle Paul's life. These are real men who lived in a time when professing your faith in Jesus Christ would literally put them in danger. Now, it doesn't mean that they're looking for dangerous situations and they're looking for ways to to uh, inflict harm upon themselves, but that's where the Holy Spirit will give them discernment on when and where to speak, the Word of God. And I really believe with all my heart, Tanya, in, in Muslim countries or in in countries where they may not have the freedom that we have in this country to read the Word of God, to share the Word of God. Uh, you're not going to be able to, to do the same things you do here, but you also have the power of God's Spirit that will work miraculous and supernatural things for you. And, and That doesn't mean there's always going to be miracles happening, But but I believe with all my heart that God works in the supernatural, uh, more often in those types of environments, simply because when there's a a willing heart that loves Jesus, that's willing to talk to people about him, he will go before them and provide the way. He may not have, or your friend may or may not have a, a giant platform. They're probably not going to be able to speak to a group of people, but God will bring individual people maybe smaller groups of people. And as your friend is faithful to, to minister to the people that he brings to them, God will add more. It's not a guarantee of 100% safety, unfortunately. But that's what God does in the heart of those who are born again. There is no other message that, that, uh, that takes precedence. I think of it this way, you know, if you are going to a group of people in, in, in a village and you, you see that they are dying of starvation and there's no food, uh, I, I'm not going to sit there and feel bad for them, knowing that maybe over the hill, around the corner is, is an abundance of food. I'm going to talk to them about it and I'm going to tell them and I'll b- even bring them. And to those that are willing to listen, they'll get fed. So, Tanya, I hope that helps. Uh, Thank you for calling in um, and and always being a faithful listener to the radio show and also calling in and giving those hard questions. I like it when Pastor Ron always says that, and I'm saying that with a smile. (laughs) Thank you, Pop. Let's go back to our questions. Okay, let's see. This is uh, a question from Robert. Robert says, I hear, and he puts quotes, just be with Jesus, close quote, often from your pulpit. I understand it, but what does that actually look like in the life of a believer? Robert, we actually get this question pretty often, at least Pastor Ron does. And and I think the reason why this question is asked often is because we want, by nature, we want a formula to follow, uh, even Christians, we, we we gravitate towards, you know, bullet points, uh, you know, five takeaway, three takeaways from a Bible study. We like to write down lists on, and we like to follow patterns. And that may or may not be a, a bad thing, but when we talk about just being with Jesus, and you hear that from us often, we're talking about literally just doing what he says to do, just just making our, our mind Jesus' mind, our heart Jesus' heart. So when you hear us say, just be with Jesus, and you want to know what it looks like in the life of a believer, Robert, it's pretty simple. It looks like Galatians chapter 5. When you're with Jesus, he will produce fruit in your life. And the fruit of the Spirit Is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Those are things that I cannot, you cannot manufacture on your own apart from the Holy Spirit. But when you're with Him, you can't help but produce these these things. And and actually, the word for fruit in Galatians chapter 5 is singular. That means that there is one fruit that manifests itself in these nine different traits but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Uh, here's another way, Robert, to think about it. I and I often use this analogy when I'm teaching, but it, it's, 100, it's not 100% accurate, but it makes the point. If I have a small piece of metal and I, I attach it to a big magnet, I think at the back of, of subwoofers, that's what I used to play with when I was a kid. The big magnet behind those speakers used to always pick up screws and, and, and little metal things. And, and when that metallic object is attached to the magnet over time, those magnetic properties get transferred over to that small little piece of metal. And, and that's because of the surface area contact. That's the intimacy and this is what being with Jesus or just be with Jesus means. I'm going to be so close to him that nothing is going to come in between me and him. And when I'm so close to him, I'm attached to him, the contact area, the surface area between him and I is not hindered by any sin. It's not hindered by any, any other treasure I store in my heart. It's just Jesus. Well, When that happens, I start to become more like him not because i'm trying harder but because i'm with him but because my mind is meditating on the word but because my heart is treasuring the things of the word now practically what it looks like in the life of a believer robert is is that the word of god will take precedence over my opinions It'll take precedence over my my thoughts, my feelings. When Paul writes to the Corinthian church in the second letter and he says, take every thought captive or take captive every thought and and, and make it. and, And the idea here is force it to the obedience of Christ. What he's saying is this, our flesh likes to wander off in rabbit trails. We like to think about things. We like to think about conspiracy theories. We like to think about what-if scenarios or hypotheticals. But God says, what about focusing and fixing your thoughts on that which you know to be true? And my word is true. That means I'm going to be closer to the word of God than what my feelings tell me. And if my feelings contradict what the word of God says, I'm going to choose the Word of God. I'm going to force my mind to align with the Word of God. I don't like that. I'm not a robot. My flesh wants to fight back and say, yeah, but it makes more sense to do this. Or, but I feel like doing this. But well, that's when we have to put our flesh to death. If, you, if you're going to be with Jesus in his presence, is the fullness of joy, I'm not going to want anything than what Jesus wants. I'm going to die to myself and live for Jesus. So, Robert, I, I hope that makes sense. We've got a few minutes left here in the show. Uh, we've got a phone call, though. Let's go to the phone lines. Todd from San Antonio, you're on the air. We've got a few minutes left here in the show. Uh, we've got a phone call, though. Let's go to the phone lines. Hi, Todd. Your radio is on. Yes. Can you
0: hear me? Good afternoon, Todd. Hi,
2: Todd.
0: Todd bless.
2: How can I help you? Yes,
0: Yes, I I wanted to ask you, it's kind of of an unusual question. Uh, Why is it that people quote Paul more than they quote Jesus? It includes pastors and people when they're having conversations, and quite frequently you can hear people quoting Paul a lot more than they're quoting Jesus. And you would think that they worship Paul more than Jesus. I know that they don't, but... Something that right. always confused me, especially when I was a young Christian, and um, the references always go to Paul. And you, you would think they would want to quote the Son of God more, and so it right. always confused me.
2: Well, that's a great question, Todd. So I'll, let me go ahead and answer it. We have a, a couple of minutes left in the show. I got about two minutes, so let me let me say this quickly. Uh, Paul is. Uh, the the, the the man that God used to pen the majority of the New Testament, I think 13 or 14 letters of the New Testament. But that doesn't mean uh, that we reference Paul and his thoughts, though we do sometimes because he's a man just like we, we are. He was a man just like us. But everything Paul talked about would point to Jesus. So yes, we quote Jesus when we're referencing the Gospels, but, but practically, if you just look at the volume uh, of verses, what Paul wrote, uh, obviously the Holy Spirit writing through Paul, uh, is is in quantity uh, uh, more than what Jesus is actually saying in the Gospels. Now, the Gospels is where we learn about who Jesus is, about his ministry, about what he was like, his deity, and everything about him. But Paul, uh, Illustrated what the life of a born-again Christian would look like. So he would address some of the issues that deal with what you and I, Todd, would deal with. So when we reference the Apostle Paul, it's not to give him credit, uh, but he, everything he would say would point back to the character and nature of Jesus Christ. I, I hope that helps, and I could spend a little bit more time on that tomorrow on the radio show if I need to. Well, you can hear the music, that means we are at the end of the Monday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken. We will be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock to take your calls. God bless.
0: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com.